Today we are closing out a series that we've been in throughout the month of August called Next Level Neighboring. And the big idea is this, that if you are here as a follower of Jesus, then there is a call upon your life to not just be a nice neighbor or a good neighbor, but to be a next level neighbor. And what I mean by that is that we are to be people who are known for how well and how extravagantly we love the people around us. And so we've talked over the last several weeks about what that looks like in us and through us as a church. We talked about us being a church where in our individual lives, and in our scattered lives, we practice hospitality, which means we open our homes and we open our tables to people who might otherwise be considered strangers and we treat them like family so that they might become our friends. But we talked about celebrating diversity, believing that the message of Jesus breaks down all of the typical dividing walls and allows for a church to be a reflection in the local place of what it is in the eternal place, which is a gathering of all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, and that we should seek to live that out here. Last week, we heard an incredible testimony about a woman whose life was threatened lest she renounce her Christian faith. And it brought to light for us the urgency of sharing our faith with other people around us. And today, we talk about next-level neighboring in the form of reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's the topic for this morning. Now, I realize that that's a, that's a $5 word with a lot of baggage behind it. So I need to define that term for us. Here's what I mean when I say that next-level neighboring is about reconciliation, practicing it and pursuing it. Reconciliation means that you reestablish normal neighborly relations. It doesn't mean that if you're reconciled with someone that you're best friends, that you do everything together, that you're texting each other every 10 seconds. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that someone who hurt you suddenly has license to hurt you again, that there's no boundaries, that there's no parameters. doesn't mean that. It simply means when you're reconciled that there is a reestablishing of some normal neighborliness, meaning you can show one another some basic kindness. You can recognize the other person's presence in your life. You can understand what they need and you seek sacrificially to offer it to them. You're a kind and decent human being to someone else who you choose to see as a kind and decent human being. Reconciliation is reestablishing normal neighborly relations. Make sense? Now, another way for us to talk about this, and this is how we're going to talk about it with the time that we have left this morning, is this. To reconcile with someone means to close the gap. To close the gap. Every so often, I have the opportunity as a pastor to do some pastoral counseling with with married couples. Couples who, when they come to my office, it's either really, really good or typically it's really, really bad. And you can gauge just how bad it is by how they sit down in the office. So if there's a couch in the office, if things are really, really bad, they sit on opposite ends of the couch. Or if they're forced to sit next to each other, their body language looks like this. They're just turned away from the other person, trying to inch themselves away from this person that they're married to but happen to be at odds with. When two people are struggling within a marriage, there is physical space between them typically that you can see. Sometimes you can drive a truck through it. But that physical space between them, that gap between them is is symptomatic of a larger emotional and mental space that exists between them. 
There's a physical gap that's manifested by an emotional space and distance between them. And if that marriage is to have any hope, if they are to reestablish the rhythms of what normal married people who like each other do, then they have to close the gap. They have to close the physical gap. They have to sit next to each other as people who like each other. And they have to close the emotional and mental gaps as well. Otherwise, they will continue to be at odds and the marriage has very little hope of being joyful, if continuing at all. At any given time, you have people in your life where between you and she or you and he, there's a gap. There's some physical space. Your lives don't really intersect the way they probably could or should. And that's symptomatic of some larger emotional and mental space between the two of you. And it may be in your mind for really good reasons. Maybe they hurt you, they did something wrong to you, or they're, they're kind of a threat to you, whatever it is. There are individuals in your life with whom there's a gap. There's a need for reconciliation. It could be your, your brother who lives a lifestyle that you just like don't understand, so there's a gap. Uh, it could be a, a co-worker who's really talented and you feel like they're kind of a threat to you, and so there's a gap. It could be that between you and a whole other group of people, there's a need of reconciliation. Uh, that there's this whole other community of people in your world that, that maybe look different than you or live different from you or speak different than you. And that makes you feel kind of strange on the inside. And so there's a gap between all of them and you. Or there are people in this world who, believe it or not, they vote differently than you. <laughs> they think differently than you. And so there's a gap between all of them and you. And there's this physical space between you. Y your lives don't intersect the way they should. So when you're at the family party, you don't really spend all that much time connecting with your brother. Or when you're in that team meeting, you try not to make eye contact with the new guy. Or you actually hope that those people don't move into your neighborhood and lower your home value. Or you put signs on your lawn that make it clear who you vote for so that those liberals or those conservatives stay off your lawn. <laughs> now here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus hates the gaps between us. He can't stand the gaps between you and me, between you and them. And that's why in his word over and over again, he calls us and he invites us to close the gaps, to be people who embrace reconciliation. And he says this exclusively of his people. If you're connected to Jesus, Jesus wants you to be people who close all of the gaps between you and the person who wronged you, between you and the people who are different from you. You should seek to reestablish normal neighborly relations insofar as it depends on you with the people around you. Now, I recognize in some rare cases that's just not possible, but I want to stress that those are rare, and even if they're not possible, it should always be desired, because that's about your heart. This is the point that Jesus is getting at through Paul in the book of Romans. We, we read just a snippet of it, just 14, verse 14 earlier, but I want to read the larger context of it. Jesus is calling through Paul for for the church in Rome to be a church that embraces the closing of the gap. Let's dive in. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 14. So Paul is writing to the Roman church, and in this young, growing Roman church, there are a ton of gaps that exist. 
There are a ton of gaps that exist. There, there are some people who have been persecuted for their faith, so understandably there's a gap between them and the one persecuting them. There's a need for reconciliation. There are some who apparently are put off by all the emotions of others. And so there's a gap between them and the person who's crying all the time. There are some who've been wronged by someone in their family, and they're holding tight to this need for vengeance, and so that creates a gap between them and the person in their family. There are other people who have means, they're rather wealthy, and they kind of look down on those who are poor, and they don't associate with them, and so there's a gap between the wealthy and the poor. And Paul calls all of them out in Romans chapter 12, and he calls all of them to close the gap. Listen to this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Close the gap. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Close the gap. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Close the gap. Never be wise in your own sight. Close the gap. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Close the gap. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Close the gap. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will do the repaying, says the Lord. Close the gap. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Close the gap. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Close the gap. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Close the what? You got it. You guys listen. Now, there are some understandable reasons why people are at odds. There's persecution happening. There's hurt that's happening. And there are some petty reasons people are at odds. You cry too much, and that weirds me out. But Paul lumps all of it together, and what he says is, no matter what your reason is for there being a lack of reconciliation between the two of you, whatever your reason is, it is not reason enough. Close the gap. Seek Long for the restoration of normal neighborliness between the two of you. Now, here's the thing we don't want to admit about the gaps that exist in our life between me and this other person or me and those people. One of the reasons we have so many unreconciled relationships behind us is because for whatever reason, we perceive that the rift between us is right. They did something horrible to me, and so the rift between us is right. Or they're the ones who kind of started this disconnect, and so their, their job is to move first. So this rift between us is right. Or you know what? I don't know why we're at odds. We don't really connect. But man, it kind of works for me because it's familiar for me. And getting to know them at this point would just be weird for me. The rift, I'm going to hate to admit it, it just kind of feels right. I was having a conversation with a woman uh, not too long ago who was at odds with her sister-in-law. And to be honest, I, I, I know the sister-in-law, and the sister-in-law is a handful. And, and this woman had some understandable reasons for there to be like this gap between her and her sister. Like they didn't cross paths much, and there was this mental and emotional space as well. They just didn't do life together at all. But me, being a pastor, sometimes my job is to just kind of like poke the bear. And so, I, and so I asked, why don't you want to even try to reconcile with your sister-in-law and she said, Pastor, I, I hate that, that we don't have a relationship. I hate that we don't have a relationship. And, and I want it to get better. And so I said, well, why don't you make it better? She said, Pastor, I hate what this rift has done to us. But I'll be honest, I enjoy the leverage it's given to me. Because she was the one who was wronged. And it feels good to feel right. 
But if you're here as a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to know. You don't get to hold on to that. God has not called you to hold on to anything that creates and nurtures a space between you and somebody else. He's called you to let it go. In fact, he's called you as much as you can, insofar as it depends on you, to try and give to others what Jesus Christ has given to you. Jesus Christ has closed the gap. Second Corinthians chapter 5, that's Paul's point. So Paul is now talking to another Christian church. And notice what he says here. He says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Uh, another way to say that is, we, we don't view people in light of how our instincts say we get to view people. Oh, there's someone who hurt me, or there's someone who's different than me. There's someone who took something from me. We don't get to view people that way. We now view people in light of what Jesus Christ has done for them, no matter what they did to me. That's our viewpoint. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then gave us the ministry, the divine job of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's that word, reconciliation, all over those verses. And Paul's point is this. The whole world has a rift with the Father. The whole world has a giant gap between them and the Father. Created by this thing that Christians like to label as sin. Which is our unwillingness to recognize the Father, to worship Him, to love Him, really in any regard. It's created by the petty wars that we wage, the, the angers that we hold on to, the words that we say, uh, the, the murders we commit, the hate that we harbor, all of the evil and petty things that we do, all of it serves to create this giant rift, this giant gap between us and the one who made us. But Jesus Christ was not cool with the gap between you and your creator. And so he, he won reconciliation. He closed the gap between all of us. The gap between us and God is all the sin that separates us from him and the death as punishment that we deserve from him. And so what did Jesus do to close the gap? He comes and he lives this perfect life to fill in the part of the gap that's created by your evil and inappropriate life. And then he dies this sacrificial death so that there's a punishment for it. So he closes up the punishment part of the gap too. And so now through his cross and his empty tomb, which announces his victory over our sin and the punishment of death, through his cross and his empty tomb, that space between us is filled. It, it's, it's level. And now between the whole world and the whole of God, there is a clean and even walkway. And there is, for the entire world, the opportunity and the invitation for a right and good relationship with the Father. The world has been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And what Paul is implying here is that when you come to faith in that and you receive that and you benefit from that yourself, that it then changes two things. It changes how you see and what you do. We are given new eyes and a new calling. In particular, we're given new eyes toward other people. I can no longer see the person who's at odds with me as someone that I'm right to have a rift with. 
If I believe the things about Jesus that are true, I also have to believe that they are someone Jesus loved so much that he went to unbelievable lengths to get right with. The person that I'm at odds with is someone that Jesus went to great lengths to get right with. That's how I have to see them. And then it gives me a new mission. As a person of faith, I'm not only called to, rec- to announce the fact that there's reconciliation, that the gap has been closed between the whole world and God. That's what evangelism is. The gap has been closed. God can be known through Jesus Christ. Reach out to him. But I'm also called to embody what I have received in my own relationships so that I'm, so that I'm then walking in step with what I've received from Jesus. So if Jesus says he loves the whole world and he's reconciled the whole world to his Father that's how much he loves them, then in order to walk in step with Jesus, I have to seek reconciliation with the other members of that whole world. Otherwise, I'm out of step with Jesus. So, so it's like this. Uh, guys, think of, it like, think of it like this. Your, your spouse, your wife, has a best friend in the whole world. And, and this girl who's her, your wife's best friend, she is annoying as all get out. There's just things she does and the way she laughs that just annoys you like crazy. But your wife, your wife like can't do life without her. It's her absolute best friend. And if you insist on not having a relationship with your wife's best friend or being at odds with your wife's best friend, it won't take very long before it's difficult for you to be your wife's friend. Because part of loving someone is seeking to have a reconciled relationship, a neighborliness with the ones that they love. Because I love you, I will seek to love them. Because I love Jesus, and Jesus loves the one who's at odds with me, I will seek to be neighborly, reconciled, kind, compassionate to the one who's on the other side of this gap from me. And when we look at Jesus, what we see him doing are a handful of things. And these are things we talk about all the time here at St. Mark because, as you probably figured out for me, I'm big on looking at what Jesus has done for us and then asking the question, how can that be embodied in our own lives? And here's how we see Jesus closing the gap between the whole world and the Father. And this is instructive for us. The first thing we see Jesus doing, and we take this for granted, Jesus closes the gap by coming near to us. The message of the Christian faith is not just that God loves you, as if that weren't enough. But the message of the Christian faith is that God loves you enough to come near to you and share space with you. And Jesus Christ has took on flesh and rubbed elbows with the divine and lived with us. In order for you to close the gap with someone else, you're going to have to find a way to share space with them, to sit next to them in the break room, to talk to them at the family party, to walk across the street and shake the hand with the person who lives differently or works differently. You have to close the gap by sharing space and drawing near. And here's why this is really important for human beings. It's really easy to fight from far away, but it is darn near impossible to hate from close up because you see their humanity. The second thing we see Jesus doing is that Jesus meets the most pressing human need once he's arrived in this planet. He comes here and our most pressing human need is to be made right with our Father and so he forgives us. He lives perfectly, dies sacrificially, rises triumphantly. That was our greatest need. He could have shown up and said, you know what? I'm God in flesh. Worship me. Serve me. Make a sandwich for me, world. 
Instead, what does he do? He says, oh man, this place is so disconnected from the Father, I'm probably going to have to die to make this right. So he does. What's the most pressing need of the person that you're disconnected with? One of the reasons we stay at odds with each other is because in that relationship, there's a giant gap between us because we stay in our respective corners demanding that the other person do something for us. At some point, the conversation has to change. And rather than saying, here's what I need from you in order for this gap to go away, in order for us to reestablish normal neighborly relations, at some point, somebody has to have the heart and the maturity enough to say, what do they need from me? And can I give it? That's what makes the story of the Good Samaritan, one of Jesus' most famous stories, so powerful. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, this guy gets beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road, and two people pass by. The really religious guy who seems to have all the right answers, and as he's passing by, he asks himself this question, what will happen to me if I stop and help? And thinking about that question, it causes him to not stop and keep going. And then the Samaritan, who's the equivalent of like the, the backwoods, unsophisticated guy, he walks by and he asks a fundamentally different question. He asks the right question. He doesn't say, what will happen to me if I stop and help? He says this, what will happen to him if I don't stop? And so he does. That's the right question. That's a reconciling question. And then lastly, Jesus pays the price. He understood that it was going to take his whole life, his whole self, in order to close the gap between humanity and the Father. And, and I'll be honest with you, reconciliation, the reestablishing of normal neighborliness between you and someone who's hurt you or you and someone who's different from you, it still requires a cross. You won't have to die, but you will have to sacrifice. You will have to embrace some risk. It means you have to embrace the risk and, and take in the sacrifice of being burned again by your big brother or, or being outshined by the new person in the office or feeling awkward as you engage a community that's different from you or lives in a, in a way that's, that's strange to you. You're going to have to take on that cost and embrace it and pay the price. But that's how reconciliation occurs. Draw near. Meet their need. Pay the price. That's how it happens. So who do you need to close the gap with? Survey your relationships with individuals or communities. With whom does your life rarely intersect and it's reflective of an emotional and mental space between the two of you caused by differences or disagreements or unfamiliarity? And what can you do to close that gap? Because you have had that gap closed in Jesus Christ. And a question for us to consider as a church on a corporate scale is this. With whom do we, as St. Mark, need to close the gap? Are there communities around us that should be reflected here within the walls of this church? But for whatever reason, there's a half mile between us at all times. And it might as well be a million miles. But they should be here in this space and in this room but for whatever reason they're not, what would it take for us to close the gap with that or those communities and people? Let me close with this. If you've ever had the, um, uh, the blessing to go to Ireland, then you know that in Ireland there is the oldest Christian monument um, in Ireland is St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, which is, which is gorgeous. If you ever get a chance to go, I've never been, someone can take me. It's gorgeous. But at St. Patrick's Cathedral, in one of, the, one of the side buildings, 
there, there was this structure that had a door on it, and the door has since been taken off and put into the museum at St. Patrick's Cathedral, and the door is known as the door of reconciliation. The door of reconciliation. In fact, we have a picture of it. This door of reconciliation got its name. I think we have a picture of it. There it is. The door of reconciliation. Um, you notice that in the middle of that door, there is a rectangle that's cut out. And that's the heart of the story of the Door of Reconciliation. In 1492, there were two families that were at war. Uh, the, the Ormonds and the Kildares. The Ormonds and the Kildares, rather. Uh, they began a feud that escalated into an all-out war. To the point where the Ormond family took refuge in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And the Kildare family attacked them while they were in the cathedral. But as the Earl of Kildare was leading this assault against the Ormond family holed up in St. Patrick's Cathedral, God brought him to his senses and he realized this is stupid for there to be this fight between us. Here I am attacking this church and we both worship at this church. We both live in the same town. We're fighting over petty things. This feud that has escalated into a war is absolutely worthless. And so the Earl of Kildare, he called through that door to the Earl of Ormond and he said... Come out, and I promise not to avenge you, not to harm you. Let's settle this feud between us. Let's be reconciled as brothers. And understandably, the Earl of Ormond said, uh, No thanks. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. And so the, the Earl of Kildare knew that he was going to have to take things into his own hands, quite literally, in order for there to be reconciliation. And so he took his spear, and he broke that rectangle hole in that door. And when the hole was broken, he took his right arm and he put it through the door. And then there was this tense moment as he waited, wondering whether his arm would be lopped off or a hand would shake and meet him. Eventually, he felt another hand grasp his. And that hand shook, and then it released, and the door opened, and the two earls, they hugged each other, and the feud was resolved. That's why it's called the door of reconciliation, and that's also why the Scottish have this saying, chancing one's arm. To chance your arm is to embrace the risk of reconciliation. The risk that it requires. Because they could cut it off, or they could shake your hand. They could push you away, or it could end in a hug but you will get nothing if you don't close the gap. Let's pray.